Hello, humans. Welcome to Hell World. This is episode 46 of Your Power Report. I'm Dan from the internet, and we're just devoting this full episode, um, a quick one, but a very substantive one, on the Roe v. Wade decision. The Supreme Court just struck down, um, at the time of recording this, the long-held statute in the Constitution that uh, women under certain like state situations that they can restrict have access to um reproductive health care abortion all these other different things and it's now going to get to a point where this is only the beginning uh we're going to talk really shortly about how states are or how judges are going to basically open the floodgates for taking away same-sex marriage rights taking away contraceptive rights going after the 14th amendment and sort of like privacy against government all in itself and uh to, to join me in going through some of this will be Yasmin Aliyah Khan who at this point I will just say is just a regular for power report um I hate to say how are you doing in these kinds of cases because uh these are terrible but um really quickly before we kind of go into what just happened and like what this means for states kind of like how have you been processing the news over the past day or so? How have I been processing it? Um, ironically, I went over to my friend's house to go squeeze her baby because I needed to just feel better. And uh, if I'm being honest, which I'm uh, about these things, I'm usually not very open about it. But I think, you know, over the past few years, we've had so many knocks against us to our rights as voters, as minority groups, as whatever, as Americans, right? And every time it happens, you kind of like take a hit and it hits you in your chest and in your gut and you just have to say, okay, well, I guess we'll just keep moving on and we'll keep fighting. I didn't actually let it get to me um, on an emotional level. I cried for the first time yesterday. That was the first time that I've ever cried over any of these people. I've never done it, mostly out of spite before, but it's like, you know, what do you do? And as much as I thought that I had mentally prepared myself for the decision, because we all knew it was coming, we all knew it was only a matter of time, especially since the decision leaked however long ago that was, it's still, when I read it, it was like, you just, your heart sinks and... You know, it, it's hard because I always try to look for hope somewhere. You know, you always say, okay, you just have to keep fighting. You have to keep going forward. But that was a moment where I was like, I just need a moment to be sad. And that's what I did. And I watched Bob's Burgers for the rest of the day. I need to see the Bob's Burgers movie. Um, I, I still need to see it. Yeah. It, it, and I think it's, but it, it, in seriousness, it's important to acknowledge those moments where, uh, especially if we're, if, if the, our conditions allow it to be able to just like take a moment and pause and reflect on the history that is really happening, the regression that unfortunately is really taking place with rights across the board, but especially in this situation where the people who will be hurt the most are vulnerable women in these states that are banning abortion rights. And I kind of just will go into some of the stuff right now. So as the Supreme Court case happened, there are states who are already ready, like waiting for the moment for things to really take effect. So I like reading from Insider right now, a handful of states had trigger laws designed to immediately ban abortions within their borders once the decision was reversed. There are some sanctuary states like New York, which put in place a legal framework that would protect um, abortion even if Roe was overturned, but in other areas of the country, it isn't clear what happens next. And that kind of goes to this map here where the states in orange have uh, abortion ban trigger laws, which meant as soon as this law happened or like 
uh, this ruling came down from the Supreme Court, you literally have that day where people who were in line or scheduled that day or in the following weeks to come for abortion procedures were called on the phone and told that, okay, we have to cancel it because we're in a state like Texas or a state like Missouri or a state like Tennessee or Arkansas or Utah even, where there are these trigger laws that ban abortion immediately. States like Arizona, Florida, Michigan, Ohio, West Virginia, uh, Wisconsin, those bans are likely and to be coming very soon. Um, In the midterm elections especially, that can be a pivotal moment for a lot of these states. So that is a fair case where in some of these red states, I think voting does have an impact. But you have a situation here where a lot of these states are going to be in like trouble here. Like the laws in pregnancy essentially just vary place to place. Some places have outright abortion bans. Other places have heartbeat bills that claim to say you can't have an abortion and we can detect a fetal heartbeat, even though a lot of these laws say that's five or six weeks when you cannot detect a fetal heartbeat under any scientific situation. So that's really what's at stake right now. That's why a lot of people are upset and feeling the effects of this really dramatic draconian law. So like given kind of see more details about what this is going to look like for people. How have you seen some of the reaction in your own communities in like online? How has that been sort of like, given that you have like some finger on the pulse of like how people are reacting to these things, what can Mm -hmm. you say are your feelings on the ground? On the ground, I think it's a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty and a lot of um, just distress and hopelessness, right? And not only that, but people are fed up with the Democrats and rightfully so, if you ask me. It's, it's, I mean, obviously we're angry at the Republicans. We're angry at all the things that have led up to this point, which I know we're going to talk about in this episode, but it's really the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi comes out talking about how she's she's so hurt by what's going on. It's not a good morning. How could she even wish anybody a good morning on a day like today? You knew what was coming. You didn't do anything. You didn't do enough. And all day, they've been in my inbox asking for money and asking me to sign petitions. It's like, why? Just do something. They're so ineffective. And that seems to be, over all of the noise, the thing that has really stood out, at least to me, and at least amongst the people that I've been interacting with. And that thing with the, with the Democrats singing God Bless America on the, on the stairs is really embarrassing, honestly. It's a really inadequate response from our government, from our leaders, and people are frustrated with them. And um, not that I am promoting anarchy, but I wouldn't be surprised if this really does upset a lot of people enough to where something big happens. I don't know what that would be. I don't know what that would look like, but something needs to change and people are getting frustrated. And the thing is, a lot of times when you have something and then it's taken away from you, you're angry, you're angrier. It's different from when you didn't have something and you want something versus when you already had it and then they took it from you. So that's what's happening now. And they're coming for more. Yeah, you're 100% right. That echoes a lot of what I'm seeing right now. I mean, 
a lot of times we can feel like we're in bubbles with these things because of media bubbles and just where we are. I mean, you're talking yeah. to us from Texas, but even you're admitting like you're in a fairly like liberal area of Texas, but like, it's still like easy to see people and I'm in California, but it's still easy to see areas of California where um, for them it's wrapped up in religious reasoning or for others it's wrapped up in political uh, whose team are you on, whose side are you on, that usual kind of brinksmanship. But a unifying thing, which I am happy to see right now, is that people understand that Democrats are not saving them. Because I think people understand we've been down this road before where um, women's reproductive rights, people's reproductive rights have been under assault in this country. And we've seen Democrats say, all you need to do is just elect a couple more Democrats and we can codify Roe v. Wade into law. I mean, I have a tweet that um, a lot of people paid attention to that said how Obama campaigned in 2007, went up to Planned Parenthood and said that uh, codifying abortion access and rights into federal law will be a top priority in the Obama administration. Now, of course, we understood that Obama had to deal with the financial crisis and the Great Recession that's looking like we're getting 2.0 of any day now, um, and that there were other presidential priorities. But I mean, like, you're the president, you have a big team. We saw how much destruction Donald Trump was able to do, um, just kind of haphazardly. If you have a team of people who's working with any kind of plan and you can continue building that team out, uh, given the government resources that you do have, you could definitely have had some people working on figuring out the angle to strengthen abortion access and abortion rights. Instead, he decided, or Obama decided to not only just not make it a priority, but to concede, um, mandating abortion access in the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. So he made that concession while in office to over the bigger goal of uh, affordable health care access in Obama's, in Obama's eyes. But that sent a signal that Democrats were not really going to do anything about this. And so when you see Nancy Pelosi reading poems or uh, playing music or things, quotes from Lin-Manuel Miranda or whatever, it feels empty because we again we understand that republicans are ghouls we understand republicans are demons but we also see the democrats aren't doing anything about it and i think that is what's changing here and what's giving people a lot less hope because we live in a two-party system and it's hard to come at the democrats from within the party because they crush you like bernie sanders and it's hard to come without the party because there's so many hoops and barriers to getting on the ballot in all 50 states for a presidential candidate or even a congressional candidate yeah and it's like with any job you don't really understand the job until you're in it so like if you were or i were going to run for office or something like that we would need somebody from the inside to help us get there because there's too many barriers to entry that we just wouldn't even know about and even if we overcame those barriers we wouldn't have like the insight and the know-how on how to actually run an effective campaign and AOC when she got elected into office she actually did come out and say how easy it is for you know especially younger more inexperienced Congress people to become influenced by these lobby groups because they were banging down her door as soon as she got her office set up, right? So there, there's all these different ways on, you know, theories, I guess, on how we can actually make some kind of change happen. And at the end of the day, the answer is not reading poems or quotes or anything like that because it doesn't mean anything, right? And we don't need that kind of comfort from Nancy Pelosi. We need her to actually do something, that's what it is. Do something. And Joe Biden even said it. He said it in his speech about, um, what was it? 
gun reform, actually, when he was signing the bill about gun reform, he said, everybody keeps telling me, do something, do something. So we're doing something. And it's not everything, but it's something. And we will take something because the reality is, and I know progressives don't like to hear this, we're not going to get everything we want all at once, right? It's going to come in chunks, right? We have to accept those chunks. And then we move forward from that chunk because every chunk gets us closer and closer and closer to where we want to go. And this whole thing with abortion, too, this has been decades in the making from the Republican Party. And one thing the Republican Party has that the Democrats don't have is unity. They are so homogenized as a group, or they have become so homogenized as a group, that they are so incredibly focused on what their goals are, and they move forward, and they don't worry about morality or playing by the rules or you know being upstanding or having any kind of integrity. So they're able to basically bully their way and their agenda through Congress and make it legislation. And it's not fair. And after all these years of the Democrats playing nice and trying to play by the rules and trying to be nice to the Republicans so that maybe they'll be nice to us when the shoe's on the other foot, after all of that, this is where it's gotten us. And people are tired of these ineffective Democrats and we need something, somebody to do something about it. Thank you so much for pointing out the fact that this is in history. Like, this is a Republican project that not just going after Roe v. Wade, although that's been one of their crown jewels, but they've had this project where they're going to take the judiciary uh, branch of government because it's very easy for them to take over the legislative branch. And it's also easy for them to take over the executive branch. It's becoming harder and harder with the popular vote, but because we have the electoral college that favors all these sparse out rural states, it's still very possible and likely for them to handle the, have the presidency, and democratic incompetence doesn't also hurt with that. But I think the history of Roe v. Wade here is really important, like to go through it really quickly to see like what happened that led up to Republicans going, okay, we need to play the long game and pack the court with federal judges, pack the court with all the right-wing judges we could possibly have, do this fake hoodwinking game with Democrats who are moderate to get them to get us across the line so that we can do what we really want to do, the end game, which is roll back rights in this country and codify America as a not Judeo-Christian, because a lot of this goes against even Jewish principles, but a evangelical Christian nation codified in the law. So with uh, Roe versus Raid, Roe in that is a pseudonym for Jane Roe, whose real name is Norma McCorvey. And in 1970, she filed a lawsuit against Henry Wade, who was the district attorney of Dallas County, Texas, where she lived. And she was challenging a law that made abortion illegal except by a doctor's orders to save a woman's life, arguing that this was a privacy restriction and impinged on people's right to liberty because if you're saying that they can't have abortion access and this is um an emotional damage this is a physical sort of like issue that you have to have especially in situations of rape or incest it can be very emotionally damaging plus the financial responsibility then incurred by bringing the baby to term and then taking care of it when that completely messes up with a woman's ability to have financial security in the capitalist system that people, conservatives, evangelical Christians, Texas seems to love and obey so much. So that kind of fought out, and the courts there split the difference in that. They said that states have the right to protect prenatal like fetuses, essentially, to some extent, but they can't outright ban abortions. That 
ultimately kept getting whittled down where you had Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 1992, like more than 20 years later, which changed the principle uh, down to fetal heartbeat, which is where you get this trimestering thing that goes all around, where some states choose, okay, by the first trimester, this is okay, but by the second and third trimester, that isn't okay. That's where you get this increasing level where it goes down to the states and their ability to do it, and we know that when you bring things down to the states, you're basically making it so the worst state is how America functions, and the best state is kind of crowds out the system as far as how the laws go, best being what gives people more rights, which is ridiculous that you're arguing in a democracy. Um, some other fun facts I thought about the history before like um, anything else you wanted to add to this, because this is really important for people to know. Um, abortion bans only showed up in the late 1800s, so it doesn't go back as far as American history. It's basically shortly after Reconstruction when you have the beginning of these culture wars um, that along with the Klan, that along with a re-recognition of the Confederacy, got people energized into politics over these issues of um, representation, of Black people having rights, of women having rights, all these other different things. So it's a direct part of that. And when Roe v. Wade originally came down as a verdict, by all historical accounts, people barely cared. Like, the number of abortions before and after Roe v. Wade passed were essentially level, so it's not like Roe v. Wade led to this wave of people killing babies, so to speak, as Republicans love to claim. That wasn't the case. All it is is giving women and people who give birth rights <laughs> it's it's giving them rights that they should have to control over their own bodies um so kind of going through that kind of historical aspect before we get on to what's next is there anything else you'd like to add yeah uh it, it's the the culture thing right it's the culture of what we were talking about and the american culture and what that even represents right what it started as what it became and what it is today right and the problem that we're having is there's a disconnect right there's people like me i'm 30 how 33 years old 33 and a half and i've been in this country my entire life right i was born in connecticut i live in texas now which are two very different political arenas right and so culturally, I had to deal with that. Moving from a very liberal blue state in New England to Texas of all places, right? And when I was living in Connecticut, Texas sounded like a foreign country to me. And when I was moving to Texas, I had to tell all my friends, it's fine. I don't have to ride a horse to school every day. Like literally, that's how disconnected I was as a kid in the 90s, right? But the thing is, that's still happening in this country. We don't understand each other. This country is so large and so diverse, which can be a good thing. I mean, we always say that it's a melting pot, and we always say that that's the best thing about this country, and that this country is built on all these different kinds of people, by all these different kinds of people, and for them. But the reality is, we don't understand each other, and we're not even trying to anymore. And it, I like that you touched on the culture wars that started, or were... I guess, came to a pinnacle during the Civil War because those things never really went away, right? We The Union won the war, so the, the country stayed together, but those issues never went away, right? Just because the Confederacy lost the war doesn't mean that they weren't mad about it, doesn't mean that they weren't salty about it, doesn't mean that they didn't feel like they lost something that they considered to be part of their culture, even if that culture was super, super racist. Yeah, and we see that echoing today where conservatives and to, to be kind of like philosophical about even power report even mm -hmm. i i do episodes of the show when it's important 
when I believe there's like too much culture war nonsense going on, I check out of it because I don't feel like feeding into the drama. But one thing that I did point out was last year in January, February 2021, where Joe Biden was, you know, <laughs> gassing Democrats up about what he was going to do for the country, build back better was about to be a concept. The uh, George Floyd accountability and policing law wasn't just thrust to the side. Like we actually thought Biden was going to do things. There was policy being talked about. There was a COVID relief bill. There was going to be an infrastructure package. Things were being discussed. The Republicans were talking about one or two libraries somewhere or other that were banning Dr. Seuss books. And that this has to be an issue about free speech because they were scrambling, looking around for some culture war topic. They had no interest in engaging in politics. And that's what I want to express, that Republicans are looking for a culture war boogaboo. They're going to reach deep into their pocket of demonizing all kinds of leftist groups and causes to not only split the left and fracture the left, but to unite people in fear, regular voters in fear, to turn to the Republicans' increasingly extreme and fascistic tendencies that have just taken over the full party, so to speak. Um, that's come to today, where you get this all-out judicial assault on women's reproductive rights and reproductive health overall that's coming from the Supreme Court because you had um, – People like Justice Roberts, who have been coming at this for a long time. Uh, what's coming up next, of course, is Clarence Thomas, who literally in the concurring opinion for uh, striking down Roe v. Wade, he said that the justices should, quote, reconsider all of the court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. Um, which refer to three cases having to do with Americans' fundamental privacy, due process, and equal protection rights. So the reason why I explain all that stuff about Roe v. Wade is that what that stood on is protecting the uh, privacy, due process, and equal protection rights of people, of women, of American citizens, and what they can do with their bodies. That was the argument that Roe v. Wade did. Now that conservatives have decided to weaponize the law and say that they can't do that. They can't use that statute of Americans' fundamental rights to privacy and equal protection to protect against abortion. Clarence Thomas said, we should also go after contraception based off of this principle because this, we decide this principle no longer matters. We should go after gay rights because we've decided this principle no longer matters. Uh, I thought a really funny thing was that um, uh Obergefell, Jim Obergefell, the guy from Obergefell, who is the plaintiff that was behind the landmark ruling on same-sex marriage, mm -hmm. noted that there was one particular uh, Supreme Court case that Clarence Thomas did not name, which also mentions the rights to privacy under the Supreme Court. And that's yeah, funny v how you left that one out. He, he left out Loving v. Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I like, that's where he draws the line. You know, that's where he says, no. The Supreme Court doesn't have a say in any of this. That's where I draw the line. That's where the moral line is over. That's done. What a, like, God. Yeah, that guy. I, I don't know. Like, there, there's all this talk now, too, about, like, um, it, was, it was Senator Cornyn, my senator from Texas. He was just talking about Plessy versus Ferguson and Brown versus Board of Education. Like, they want to segregate schools again. Somebody else said something about taking away condoms. It's just ridiculous, you know? And the thing is, in this country, if you want to talk about race, right, if you want to talk about inter interracial relationships and marriages, and you want to talk about school segregation, 
you can't do it anymore. This country is already too diverse, right? People have already married these people. People have already had children with these people. Where are these children going to go to school? Where are these little mixed babies going to go to school if you segregate it? Where is a brown girl going to go to school if you segregate the schools? It doesn't make any sense. Like functionally, all of this is nonsense. It's all a big waste of time. It's all a big waste of everyone's energy. It's like, if you just didn't do anything, we wouldn't have to be here doing all this. Just can everybody just live? It would be really great if you would just let us live. Like we're past uh, like mixed kids already. Like yeah, my brother it, has mixed er kids. <laughs> like you, you're not going to be able to do the segregation thing like at all. And they, they they really are jumping the gun here. They are talking about banning abort. They're talking about banning contraception on the premise that the moment of fertilization is a life. So like I I don't know how yeah. to get like ungraphic about it. Like that is such an insane principle and legal standard to have that mm-hmm. moment of fertilization, which is something they don't even understand the science, is a point to go off of. But it's just part of their sickening attempt to you have to see past this. It's not just abortion. It's not just this one issue. It is an attempt to control based on a patriarchal structure. It's only that. And so we get to what's being done about it. And we've talked, unfortunately, about like a lot of people having hopelessness about the Roe versus Wade decision and seeing that the Democrats are unfortunately not really answering the call, so to speak. The calls they're answering are from potential donors because they're doing nothing but fundraising off this kind of thing, as they always do. But I doubt they're getting as many small dollar donations as they used to because this is a game that's happened before where Democrats are elected to go beyond the judiciary and protect not just reproductive rights for people, but um, marriage equality, LGBTQ plus rights, rights for different uh, protected racial groups, rights for people with disabilities. Like there's so many different protections that need to be had. Rights for workers where this is not like a racial thing or a gender thing, just rights for people who labor. Like there's so much that we elect, people elect Democrats for only for them to turn around and say, ah, our hands are tied, we can't really do that, but if you give me more money, I'll continue not doing that. So yeah. you get to the point where you have companies that are stepping up, companies, corporations that are standing up. Uh, Google's going the furthest and saying that they will cover the cost for employees to move and relocate to states that do have abortion protections, which um, I, I think is a pretty good move. Um, On the other end of things, you have companies like Meta, which is behind Facebook, Oculus, Instagram, WhatsApp, etc. And they, massive social media conglomerate, as people know, they are saying that people should not talk about Roe v. Wade on internal discussion boards or dialogues or comment threads or anything like that. Um, Basically, they said- But they also said that they would would pay for- for their employees to travel for abortions at the same time. You're not allowed to talk about it internally, but if you need one, they'll help you out. So I, I feel like they're trying to play, play both sides of the thing, and I don't think that's going to go over very well. Yeah, especially trying to... There have been issues with getting Facebook, for example, to unionize because it's a 
um, tech population of people who are like feel like they're really treated well in their jobs, and a lot of the people who are behind the unionization efforts are like contracted out by Facebook to do content moderation. It's definitely like the lower rung of the chain, supposed to these people who are essentially have the ability to easily work from home and not be mentally traumatized every day. But the mm-hmm. moment you start to go towards that workforce and tell them what they can and can't do, then you're going to get like people wondering, okay, well, what else is Facebook telling us what we can and can't do that we feel like we should be able to do in the workplace to be able to talk about these different things, express these different things. But doing something, doing nothing, restricting, talk about it, letting people talk about it more and paying more for it is still more than what the Democrats are doing. So I guess it gets to a larger question we touched on a little bit, but this is a moment where more clearly or perhaps as clearly since maybe Bernie ran in 2016 and 2020, where the general public can see that Republicans are playing a chess game and Democrats are playing Connect Four, often against themselves. Uh, GOP are ruthless, methodical villains, and Democrats try to negotiate with these ruthless, methodical villains at the same time. Do you think that this could be a moment of reckoning for the public as a whole, where we see, okay, like Occupy, this is how the game is stacked against us. It's the 99% versus the 1%. It's the people in power versus the people without. Or do you think conversely, do you think people look at this in the context of climate change, rising gun violence, everything else going on in the world, all those calamities, and then it turns into a compounding snowball of disasters that further disengages people from politics? I think it either does one or the other. I'm curious on your thoughts. My thought, you know, whenever something like this happens, it's very easy to get melodramatic about it. Um, But the thing that worries me is that that kind of anger and frustration and fear, it's hard to sustain over a long period of time because it is so much, you can't live like that all the time, right? So you kind of do have to take a step back and, you know, just for your own peace of mind, so you're not just stressed out all the time. Yesterday, I could barely even work in the morning, you know, I was so distracted, I couldn't get anything done. And so I had to take a step back. And then I finished what I had to do. And then I let myself, you know, deal with it how I had to. But the thing is, you need that kind of energy and that you have to be able to sustain that feeling of I'm being cheated out of something in order for any kind of movement to take place and sustain it over a long period of time. And, you know, like we we talked about how long this his whole this whole thing has been coming, right, for decades, the Christian right, they have mastered exactly that sustainable frustration and that sustainable anger and that sustainable zealotry because it's rooted in something so much deeper than like politics or how I'm feeling today or whatever, because it's rooted in their Christian belief system, right? And that doesn't leave them, you know, they're zealous about how they feel about you know, God and Jesus and whatever they think is right. And they've deemed themselves the moral authority on the rest of the world because they cling to this like thousands and thousands year old book, right? So everybody else doesn't have something like that. We don't cling to an ideology because we think it's silly to do so, right? And I think that we're right to believe that it's silly to do so. But the thing is, we then are kind of floundering, looking for something to latch onto, and we're all latching in different places, right? So we're very disconnected and disjointed. I think now, maybe, I think this probably does have the potential to kind of mobilize people in a certain way, because if you're going to disenfranchise, you know, over half of the population of the United States in just like a really quick, you know, nine people just, 
or I guess six people just signed a document and now it's the law of the land, you know, we know who they're coming for next. They're coming for everyone who is not a white man in this country. That's who they're coming for. And if everybody could just get on board, I think that could be something that matters to people and something that can exact some kind of change. The other side of it, though, is there's a lot of protests that are always happening in this country, like huge protests. How many people came out against George Floyd and all the shootings that happened in 2020 and like however many other things we've had to protest over the last few years only to see that our government says, oh, these rioters are, you know, they're just like destroying property and blah, and, and they don't do anything about it. Like, as, it doesn't matter how many people show up to protest. It doesn't matter because they'll just do whatever they want in, at, at the same time. I think what does work is boycotts. I think if you stop supporting these companies that are supporting this type of legislation, that might actually move the needle because the only thing that I've ever seen make a difference in this country is money, right? It always comes back to money, right? Whoever's making money off of something, whoever can make money off of something, they can and they will, and everybody else can be damned for it. It doesn't matter. People don't matter. And these people, the 1% who are making all these decisions, they live in such an insular bubble that they don't even know what the people want anymore. And they think, oh yeah, they'll be fine with this, right? It's fine, it's fine. It's not fine. Yeah, that that 1% are, that realistically that top 10% really, are the donor class, the politicians who come from the donor class, who have been so elected in office and have fallen into that game that they don't get in contact with regular people enough who are not political fanatics, who are just regular people who have checked out of the process for a reason. And mm -hmm. protesting can only do so much. Like Protesting is just the first step for a lot of people, and we're already seeing these protests get a little bit ugly. I just sent you this like breaking story that's happening right now that, as the time of recording this. But essentially, a pickup truck driver in Iowa plowed through a bunch of pro-choice protesters who were opposing the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And this is... We we talked about on Power Report how there are we Republicans... We were just talking about this before the show, about protesting and how terrified I am of protests for, for this reason, you know? Because, as we've talked about on and off air on Power Report, like, there are Republican politicians who have made it legal for you to do what this pickup truck driver is doing. I don't know exactly off the top of my head right now, um, this is breaking, I didn't prepare for it, about in Iowa, but um, in states like Florida, it's legal to, if there are protesters in your way, and you can like argue it in the right way, you can just run through protesters and with cars. Like it's insane. And I, I, like there are protests in um, LA and New York and across the country, of course, with Roe v. Wade, um, that decision happening and people rightly being frustrated. And that came with the usual police violence and uh, different protesters, especially because of the nature of this protest, a lot of women being brutalized by our overly militarized police forces who are very clearly on the side of taking away people's rights. At the same time, they defend to the teeth the houses of the Supreme Court justices. I, I think yeah. this is what I'm all like trying to think about is that like how you're kind of elaborating this already, but how can people go beyond just the protest? Like what I think we need to do is. Democ First, we need to take the fight to Democrats and say, listen, we're not going to, we're not doing any more of this bullshit, honestly. Um, we're going to, you know, just hold our nose and vote and wait for the candidate who's the lesser of two evils. Like, w there's no lesser of two evils if 
you're not going to do anything at all. If you're just going to be the status quo, that means you're letting the most evil of evil do all their dirty work, and you're trying to partner with evil or negotiate with evil because you don't realize that the opposing side, the Republican Party, is literally willing to put targets over the districts of Democrats saying you should go after them. I mean, Republicans at this point are openly talking about uh, going after other Republicans with guns, all right? So don't think they aren't talking about that with Democrats. And yet Democrats are on the side of continually trying to negotiate, trying to play like footsies with these absolutely vicious ghouls that are elected Republican officials. So A, I think these protests shouldn't just be happening generally all around. They need to be targeted at Democrats like Kirsten Cinema, like Joe Manchin, uh, those like wavering Republicans who keep making it so Congress can't make changes on these things fast enough. And then the Democrats who are elected, like, and I'm talking about through things like getting rid of the filibuster and allowing for these types of, um, desperate times call for desperate measures scenarios in Congress where you can actually get things passed because they've talked about this, but Democrats are like, oh, we don't want to break decorum because then Republicans will do it. Breaking news, Republicans are already breaking precedent to get whatever they want done. So it's time for Democrats to do the same. What should Democrats do while they're doing this? I mean, there was a Washington Post article from a couple years ago. Um, I'll get the name of the person who wrote it really quickly and thank them for it. But they, they mentioned that one thing you could do, um, this is Ryan Dorfler, um, who just wrote for the New York Times, I believe. I'm oh, sorry, for Washington Post. And they said that one thing you could do is limit judicial authority in such a way where you require a supermajority to strike down areas of law that have been passed legislatively. So this idea that you can just have judges strike down laws they don't like on five, three majorities, or, you know, like however like slim majorities they get, make it say, no, you need to have a supermajority, basically all but one or two judges agree to strike down this law as unconstitutional before you can get these activist judges going on. Another thing you could do, court packing. You're going to be fought through it every step of the way, but try it. There's no law that says there can be only have to be nine seats on the Supreme Court. And Republicans expanded the courts on the federal level so that they can do this exact same thing. Those are just some of the things I think people can direct their attention towards doing that um, go beyond just activism, right? And I know I asked you the question then didn't rant on a rant and tangent, but like, what are some other things you think people can do? Because this whole cycle of going out to protest um, getting brutalized by anti-protesters who work for the government and who are political operatives, and then going to Democrats who do nothing, we need to break this cycle. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you that we need to be focusing more on the Democrats that we have in office and the ones who are trying to get elected into office, right? And I think a lot of people don't pay as much attention as they should to local elections, right? Those things matter way more to the average person than most people realize. And this is kind of a weird example that I'm about to use, but I promise it's just the concept and not the the overarching extrapolation that you oh, can I'm use. Oh, weird you know, examples. <laughs> I mean, if you look at, you know, Hitler, right? He was in charge of Germany at the worst time. He was the worst leader of Germany, right? But a lot of his supporters didn't realize that he was so terrible because all these local governors were the ones who were doing his bidding, right? All these local elected officials were the ones who were saying, you know, you can't do this and you have to do this and whatever. They were the ones enforcing the law. And so these people are mad at their local officials and not even realizing that Hitler is the one who's behind all of it, right? You have to deal with what's going on in your town 
because that will make a huge difference, right? Especially when we talk about gerrymandering and redistricting, all that stuff matters, right? You have to vote hard in local elections or else it doesn't, it's kind of like a trickle up effect, which I know doesn't make any uh, sense, at least as far as like physics is concerned, but it does kind of, what happens on the ground level does affect what happens at the top and vice versa, but you have to have both components. And a good example of that is here in Texas, Jessica Cisneros, the, um, the progressive candidate, she just lost her runoff election for the primary for one of these very flippable districts in, well, it's, it's not flippable. It's actually a blue district, but it's being held right now by a really dino candidate, Henry Cuellar, who is against abortion rights and he was endorsed by Nancy Pelosi, right? He just won. So all that stuff matters. We have to get in on the local level. And then on top of that, you have to, once these people are in power, I think that something on the right that happens a lot, but it also happens on the left is we get very sycophantic about our leaders. That needs to stop. These are just people. We put them there, right? They have a lot of money, but that's it. They have a lot of power, but they work for us or they're supposed to, right? We are allowed to hold them accountable and we we need to. We're supposed to. If you have a boss at work, doesn't do something you like, you may not be able to go tell that boss directly that you don't like what they're doing, but you have avenues, right? You have different places to express your anger and frustration. You can give feedback, all these different things. But the thing is, you have to apply pressure onto these elected officials, right? Otherwise, they'll just do whatever they can, and there's no consequences for it. They feel nothing. They're further disconnected from their constituencies, and that's not good for anybody. And then there was another point, but I lost it, so come back to me. Uh, My point was that um, that does work in physics, trickle up. It's just evaporation. (laughs) Um, And, like, grassroots kind of going in that kind of mode of things and motivating people to do that. I mean, that's what I've been screaming from the rooftops for the past several years on, like, Dan from the internet as a venture and just in general. Like, politics Mm -hmm. is best affected by regular people like you and I who are just very politically engaged, have a lot of other things going on, but we pay enough attention politically to be in like the top 20% of people in the country who like have political knowledge, how we can use that as opposed to getting angry at national politics, which is pretty much done for. Um, I, I, I shouldn't like lie and sugarcoat it any otherwise. We should still make efforts for national politics, but I think we should make much more of an effort for state politics and try to get information about that across and out there. And I think that's going to be something I do as like a personal mission on power report, but it, it's really does mean at the local level, at your city council, at the county level, at the state level, this is where the left has to start fighting for power back again, because we, 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 to say we are running out is an understatement. We have run out. It is now damage control mode. Um, maybe you've thought of that other thing, but I guess kind of my last question to you is, do, do you agree with the idea of Democrats like going to drastic measures, even if they're like extra constitutional, so to speak, like court packing, which I think is within the Constitution, within your rights to do, but basically just should the Democrats be playing as dirty as the Republicans? Or is there some legitimacy to them saying, well, then the Republicans will all of a sudden start playing dirty? Well, it's like your earlier analogy, right? The Republicans are playing chess. And why can't the Democrats also play chess? That's what this is about, isn't it? That's why they got into politics, which for the game of it, right? How many of those people in Congress right now actually got into Congress because they really, really wanted to make a difference in the world and to their towns and to the people that they represent, right? These people 
are political operatives, right? So operate and operate better. You know, you have all these different laws and rules and things that you can play with. Find a way to make things happen. You can do it. You can find a way to make it happen, right? And the way that that happens, however it happens, stay within the law. Don't do anything illegal. But if you got to play dirty, if you have to do something that might feel a little dirty, then do it because they are already doing it on the other side. They've been doing it for so long. And Democrats, we like to take like the high horse and say, oh, I would never do that because that's immoral. But at the same time, we're getting our asses beat. And I mean, it's so frustrating for so many people just to see them kind of roll over and just be sad every time they lose something, right? And it's not enough for them to be sad because they didn't do their jobs good enough. We're sad and we're now angry. And that is just going to keep compounding upon itself the more that things don't happen. You know, people can only be beaten down so many times before something needs to change. You need a different strategy. You have to figure something out. You have the most brilliant minds in the world who are willing and able to help you. So utilize all the resources because now is a time to throw the entire book at everything. You know, throw all your resources at what you're fighting for because if you're not going to do it, then who is? You're the one who is who wanted the the privilege to fight for these things for us. So do it. That's can't say it better myself, so won't try. That's the last word. Um, Yasmin Aliyah Khan, thank you so much for joining us on Power Report. I mean, this is you're essentially like a regular guest, but where can people find all your other work that you're doing? Yeah, so I work with the Young Turks. I'm a contributor, a Rebel HQ contributor, so you can find uh, my videos over there on YouTube. There's a little Yasmin playlist if you want to just jump to my videos. And you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok. Um, my handle is YazK with five Zs. So that's me. I I feel like that's streamlined. You've talked about saying like, oh no, it's too many Z's, whatever, but yes, I know. with five Z's. People know that now. I, think I feel like, yeah, like do I need to spell it? Like keep spelling it out. It's so exhausting. <laughs> I mean, as long as you have the pitch down, that's all good. On yep. the Power Report yep. side, uh, special thanks to Peter, who masters all the episode for the audio-wise and makes them sound nice. He works at Dead Music Productions, Dead Music 666 on Instagram. You can help grow Power Report by subscribing at youtube.com slash Dan from the internet for more Power Report. Where we will have episodes. Um, we're going to do one with Bam, who's been doing a lot of the coverage of the uh, January 6th hearing, so that'll be fun. Um, we'll have more of Yasmin on and Sean and Caesar and all the other guests that I'm able to find and get on the show. Um, Follow PowerPort.world on Twitter at PowerPortWRL. Sorry, PowerPortWRLD. See, I get stuck with these things too. It's very hard. Um, PowerPortWRLD on Twitter. And yeah, check out everything else we're doing on Syndicate 23. We'll be on next time with probably not better news, but at least a better spend than other people have got on it. So thank you for watching. Mm-hmm.